Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily, how are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. Well, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I think I have conflicted feelings right now. I'm, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saddened by the things that are happening in our country right now. I'm, um, you know, I, I think that the world, we're still experiencing the pains of COVID and, um, you know, and also just personally, I, I, I feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's been a busy time. So I'm really, I feel really fortunate that we have this time to come together tonight so that I can have some bubbles. We can have some good conversation and hopefully help each other as we're trying to process everything that's happening. How about you, Michelle? How are you? I'm a, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm conflicted, but I'm certainly very, very sad and angry uh, right now. And uh, for our listeners, we are recording this on Monday, June the 1st. And you know, so when we re- mm-hmm. release it on Friday, I have no idea what will have happened between now and when it's released. But as mm-hmm. of our recording on Monday night, um, you know, I'm definitely in shock, um, feel helpless, feel, you know, so sad and so inspired by the people who are out, you know, protesting and, and, you know, standing up to power. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, again, like I know you said earlier, I'm also grateful for our show because we can have these conversations and and kind of work through it, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and we definitely don't want to, uh, ignore what's happening either. So we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. We'll mm-hmm. pro- it'll probably weave throughout our conversation tonight. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're just, I'm just trying to do the best I can right now, you know, right. Been, been researching the asylum programs in other countries, you know, like <laughs> what I need to <laughs> get out of the country. Where can I go? <laughs> you know, yeah. since Canada, we can't go to Canada, you know, they've cut, they've blocked this off, you know, but uh, like, where could I go yeah, if I, I have to, if I have to get out? Hence the conflict that I mean, you know, and I, I just, again, this is complicated, complicated moment because I don't want to dismiss the importance of what's happening. So, you know, if, if, if I backtrack, please, please understand it's out of sheer respect and solidarity and, you know, me trying to be as empathetic and understanding as I can, understanding that I come from a completely different yeah, yeah. circumstance, yeah. right? So, but I, 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 um, you know, I, yeah, that's part of my conflict, of course, is that I'm, I'm feel thankful for this moment that we have where we're coming together and I want to enjoy that in this evening. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear it. I hear it. So why don't you yeah. invite our guest in because I know we don't want to drink without. I know. Him. Well, and you know, and how, 
how perfect for us to want to dive into a conversation, enjoy our beverages tonight with the very person who is our partner in beverages, Jason Main from The Wine Merchant. Hello, Jason. Hello, ladies. The crowd goes wild. We've been wanting to have a conversation with you from the very beginning. I mean, you know, not only are you our partner and yeah, we used to see you you know, multiple times a week and hang out and talk about all kinds of things. Jason, everybody, is a fascinating person. My world has gotten really small. It's the size of your basement now, right? And for our listeners, now that you've heard Jason's voice, Mm -hmm. this is life in the basement. Now that you've heard Jason's voice, you know that he is real. He is not our Snuffleupagus. He is a real person. (laughs) (laughs) And we're glad to have you on the show. We haven't been making you up all this time. (laughs) It is great to be here. I am, uh, I'm happy. I, uh, I like the message that uh, you two are putting out there. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for joining Um, us. So I know what Emily and I were drinking. And what are you going to have along with us today? So I um, have already plowed through the bubbles, which is what <laughs> you like that mm-hmm. ship sailed. Mm-hmm. Hours we ago. We won't even get into when happy hour starts in this house. Yeah. Um, so I just wandered into the cellar and I found a 2009 Cote de Rome. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That okay. That is. Okay. And I, you know, I like to check in on inexpensive wines I squirrel away. See how they're, and it's fantastic. It's like what, so what is good. it? Perfect. What so is it, Jason? Winery. It's a Domaine de la Genasse. Okay. Oh, I know that. Are, Yum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but this is just their little humble Légerie Cote mm. So this is, uh, you know, and it's not the expensive Cote Village. It's just their, Super reasonable everyday wine, but I usually buy a case of it every year mm. uh, and throw it in the cellar. And then when it gets to be about five, 10 years old, we drink them. So, Jason, how wow. many bottles of wine do you go through personally in a week? Oh, boy. That's <laughs> um, if you need to fudge your numbers, that's, a, that's okay. We're, no judgment <laughs> no, here. No consistently every night between my wife and I, who's all, and she is also very passionate about wine. We will, two bottles of wine are going down no matter what. Sure. Before lockdown, eh, a bottle a night, maybe we'd open the second one and each have a little bit. Um, But we are um, with what's going on in the current political climate and extended lockdown. We're in fuck it mode. I, so totally we're good that. stuff. That's yeah. all we're drinking. Just awesome stuff out of the cellar. And if we don't finish it, who cares? Right. You know, we're just drinking it. Yeah. It's the best thing. I've, I've definitely done. been opening some of my special bottles lately. I mean, because I'm, I'm kind of at the same point where I'm just like, you know, I don't care. It's a Tuesday night. Like I just, I need, I need yeah. something that to feel good exactly. about right now. Yeah. So I get that. Everything and I appreciate it. too short. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So tonight, what are we drinking, Emily? Emily so and I are Michelle drinking the same and I, bottle. 
We are. Yeah. We're drinking bubbles tonight um, because it's a Monday night. And, you know, that sounds right. like the right. right decision today. So we have, we've had wines from this producer before, Gruet. And, um, and in fact, Michelle, we did a, a live show once when I was actually at the Gruet Winery. In January, uh, in, I think. In Albuquerque. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is their Blanc de Noir. Um, you know, we wanted to get something, even though, you know, we wanted to get something that we knew, you know, one merchant had some Gruet in, in hand. So we wanted to support, you know, our good friend here and, uh, and something, of course, we have a personal experience with. So here we go. Um, I'm, you know, this is, I mean, this is a happy Monday kind of, kind of wine. It's delicious. I'm, you know, on the nose, you get all of that nice kind of yeasty baking spice, a little pear, a little, you know, kind of a little just kind of apple. And But on the palate, I'm getting some of that nice honeysuckle and pear. It's creamy. It's really, I think, kind of indulgent and yummy. What do you think, Michelle? I, I would agree with you on the indulgent and yummy part. I have okay. no idea about all of the different notes that you gave because I, I don't taste that. I mean, I think it's great, but I can't tell that there's pear and things like that. Um, that's just, but our listeners are, are used to it. However, the, the type of panty that comes to mind, if you'll bear with me, is a pair of panties made out of bright spring flowers, like pansies, mm. not pansies, I'm um, the daisies, the Gerber daisies, like a pair of panties made. Uh, no, granted, these are panties made out of it. <laughs> Gerber daisies? But uh, <laughs> yeah, like big bright flowers like that, multicolor and uh, with a oh. with a um, uh, lace together with like a honeysuckle uh, uh, thread, if you will. Oh, see, That's so the honeysuckle does come through for you too. <laughs> well, you... I was like, well, that'll be a good addition to the to the pair of panties. So yeah, there so that's is. what comes to mind. Yeah, something oh. new, very very springy like that. Yeah. yeah, Jason, what kind of pair of panties is your wine? Um, let, you know, it would probably be something incredibly comfortable that you still feel kind of sexy in. Oh, okay. And what is that for a guy? I don't know. I'm not wearing any. <laughs> <laughs> so imaginary panties, imaginary panties for guys. Very comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I am. I'm a pretty basic guy when it comes to underwear, and uh, you know, I'm classic guy. I buy by weight, not by fashion. <laughs> as long as you're comfortable, yeah, right? Um, right. Yeah, no, but it's it's a really beautiful wine, you know. Mm. Um, it is made incredibly traditionally for the Southern Rhone, so it's got like this just beautiful kind of ripe, lush fruit, mm. you know, lots of kind of, almost like raspberry coulis, the fancy raspberry sauce oh. you put over desserts. Um, that good. But it's French, so it's fermented completely dry. And it's got some great spice notes and just some wonderful stuff like that. But you know, Cotron is great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind really of my day to day wheelhouse. You know, I love it. <laughs> yeah. What would be the price point on that 
for you, for our listeners? When I bought this 09, I probably paid $15 a bottle for it. If we get into the current vintage, which I would imagine is probably seven, it's probably 18 on their base Coterone. Uh, it's probably up closer to $20 these days. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, that's so still within, within our... the, the range that our, we try to keep ourselves in. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm always encouraging people to check out Rhone wines. They, they just so over-deliver for the money. The yeah. northern end and the southern end. Jason, what led you down this whole path of of wine? Like, what what got you here? And not literally on our podcast here, but like, yeah. <laughs> what, how did you, where did this passion come from? You know, I have... Um, both parents who are very passionate about food and wine. Um, you know, I grew up in one of these um, houses. It wasn't a leave it to beaver house by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it was one that was based around the dinner table. And, you know, that meal was always had together as a, and, you know, it's cooked uh-huh. and not just by mom, you know, I mean, cooking was taught to all of us at a very young age. Um, cause we had Did a mom come from a big family. No, I have an older brother and an older sister. I'm the youngest. And, okay. um, oh. but I mean, you know, my mom has always either been a full-time student or, you know, in some way working 40 hours a week. So, I mean, she was kind of like, you have to learn how to cook food. And I, you know, I think a passion for food typically precedes a lot of passion about wine. Typically now there's your statistical outliers, but, um, at least for my generation, um, a lot of it comes from, and that's really where it was. And, you know, we got to taste great wines, not every day, but, you know, around the holidays, older Sauternes and Bordeaux's and, you Mm -hmm. know, my mom taught me at a very young age that Beaujolais Nouveau is garbage and you start at Beaujolais (laughs) Village. Um, so I can, you know, um, and so I, it, then I married into a restaurant family. You grew up with it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I grew up with parents who, you know, always put importance on, you know, that kind of, that kind of, I mean, I it was just joking with some family, my in-laws today, that my parents still to this day have happy hour, which has some kind of prepared hors d'oeuvre and either a cocktail of clear spirits or a white wine. Even if it's just the two of them. I love that. Yeah, I think that's so, uh, to me, the image I get is of a really strong uh, relationship that they have, that they like dedicate that time to each other or every day they set that aside and they they do that. And I think that's a, that's a really, really cool aspect um, of, the, of, your, of your mom and dad. And I, uh, they were cool cats. They still are. Yeah, they moved two year or about a year and a half ago to Arizona, and um, you know I love them to death. But a part of you know I've told my them this recently that a part of them is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what are you the doing? Seeking I have a three year old. You don't get to like, yeah, you don't get to make pleasant life decisions for yourself. Like, <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, they, they moved away because they didn't want to become the like the babysitter, you know. They're like, oh, they yeah. were, <laughs> yeah. Got to get I, out of here. They, but it, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Michelle. Like they always put their relationship first because they felt like you know, 
staying married <laughs> is pretty critical to having a good family. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they were just like, we want to build a house in the desert in Arizona. And they sold all their shit and bought a plot of land near the green river in Arizona. They're building this crazy eco house. And Wow. Wow. Where, are, where is the green river? Was it close to Tucson or Phoenix? Yeah, it's close to Phoenix. Okay. Um, we're like maybe 50 minutes. And I should footnote, my sister lives there with her four teenage boys. Okay. Um, okay. That's a pretty and, big footnote there. So they're not just walking away from their, family. Yeah. But they're also <laughs> staying about an hour. <laughs> like okay. okay. Keeping an hour. Out. Yeah. But, but you I know, thought- they lived in... Well, I was just going to say they lived in Costa Rica for, I don't know, 20 years. Um, Did you visit visit them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you, you had already moved out of the house when they were in Costa Rica? Is that what you're saying? Or yeah. did you when spend time like there? 18, 19 years old. And, um, yeah, no, I lived down there on and off a bunch. And uh, my dad uh, had a construction company down there. But they built these really funky, weird sort of eco-sound beach houses. Um, And and he's a very kind of Frank Lloyd Wright-esque guy. So, like, all of the furniture was built for the whole house, for that room, the lamps, everything. And he found I mean, it's like crazy stuff. Um, And so he needed someone to do photography for him down there. So I just went down. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, okay, so so do you have a background in photography? Uh, in that, I am a high school dropout. I got a GED, and really? I just sort of took college classes on and off at Forest Park Community College, and I took quite a few photography. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I just well, did what not. What led to your dropout it. days? What, what led you there? You know, I have... Um, I can't uh, when I have like the type of ADD where it's not like hyperactivity, but if you put me in a a group beyond 25 people and I'm supposed to do something, uh, I just, it's like, I can't process. It's like a type of ADD where it almost moves into an autism spectrum when you're in large groups. Like there's just certain things. Yeah. And so it just never worked for me. Um, I kind of hard to parse out all the noise, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I just tuned, I, you know, I learned some stuff, but, uh, you know, I came across wine and like as a career, like all of a sudden realized like wine could be a career and it was like Mm -hmm. game on. And suddenly it was like, I could focus, I could learn, I could learn memorization techniques. Um, so and you were you went to high school before uh, the internet, right? Or I did. very near. So possibly all this homeschooling and online learning might have been more beneficial to you. Oh, I think it. I think it would have, but I was also very social. Okay. Um, I, I just I am a lost cause when it comes to schooling. When you look at schooling in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, traditional oh. type of yeah. schooling. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if parents, you, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, my parents would pull me out of public school where I was happiest mm-hmm. because I had, you know, a 
1.3 grade point average and put me into a left wing feel goodery where I would excel, but I was miserable and I missed my friends and I missed going to a big school, you know, so yeah. I just, mm-hmm. Finding that balance, right? To be able to have, to have that social interaction, but not have it necessarily tied to the educational piece. And then, you know, that it's tricky. Well, you know, I did this, um, I'm sorry, did it, did it show up early in your life? Like, uh, elementary age, they kind of like, oh, I think we're going to have some, some problems or puberty hit and things went downhill. I want to say, you know, I did public school until about fifth grade, I think it was. And they put me out, pulled me out um, because I was just not uh, meeting any of the, you know, I wasn't doing anything. And they put me in Churchill. um, Okay. Which Which is what I don't know what that means. I'm not Churchill is, yeah, so it is a very elite, fancy private school that these days I'm sure is an astronomical and it was back then too. Um, but you know, classes didn't exceed 10 or 12. They had, oh. um, very specific, uh, you know, auditory visual learning so they could really hone in, you know, like if you write something on a chalkboard, it takes me five minutes to transcribe it. But if you say it to me, I'll, I'll remember it a week later. And so they would like figure out, you know, sure. auditory or visual learners. And it was this amazing experience, but, uh, I just, you know, I'm an empath. I, you know, I am mm. close with my friends, many of them who I'm talking about back in fifth grade. I still know and I'm still good friends with and stuff. And so it just, I just wasn't suited for traditional education. Um, Math and English has definitely hurt me as I've gotten more successful in business. Mm. Uh, my usage of the traditional Oxford comma is embarrassing. Mm. And I married a woman with a degree in business writing. So <laughs> I've literally written her letters and said and signed it, P.S., please do not edit. Oh, well, you know, there is, there is a little controversy with the Oxford comma. So there's like half the world that says it's fine and the other half that says it's not. So, you know, just, you have to figure out who your audience is and write, you know, to comma or not to comma. That is the question. Well, I, I couldn't do either. Very accurate. I I struggled for a long time and I should also footnote that I had a brother and a sister who were just brilliant students they mm. just excelled and accolades and where do you fall in that lineup i'm the youngest so it yeah. works out great <laughs> so i know you have a young son you have a young son and mm-hmm. and i'm sure you're really? starting to think about his education and how has your experience how is that shaping some of these like early thoughts that you have for you know, what, what you're expecting for his future. Yeah. The, yeah. It's really been, uh, hard. Um, you know, luckily I come from a family with a big time therapy background, <laughs> put us in therapy, whether we wanted to go or not believed in therapy, made their friends get into therapy. Um, <laughs> I love that you said, luckily, you know, some people would yeah, not say luckily. That's good. Yeah. And it, well, look, you know, when my wife and I were 
positive we were going to get married, we started going to, uh, I took her to meet my therapist and we started going to couples therapy and people would be like, <laughs> oh my God, you're in trouble already. And I'm like, you don't understand. If you go to a doctor when you have stage four cancer, you're fucked. Way too late. You are way too late. You at the front end, mm-hmm. make sure that people are aware of what they're getting into and, you know, so a moderator there to say, yeah, they're not going to change that. Like, if that. If that doesn't work for you, I've known this asshole for five years and been <laughs> counseling him. He's still doing it. So Good he's going, you know, uh, right, exactly. And so I, you know, I just, and that's uh, you know, a commentary on this country too, I think, you know, I mean, just how we view mental health, how we view what is a healthy mental state and stuff. I mean, Therapy is only used when you're in trouble. Come on. Therapy is how you don't get in trouble. My yeah. yeah, it's the same thing about like physical health, right? We proactively work out and take care of our bodies so that way, you know, we don't get to a point of ill, like, you know, irreparable <laughs> damage. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so I, so I think coming from a, a background where I did a lot of therapy and therapy was an okay thing, um, no matter how poorly I did in school or no matter how much I let my parents down, it, they still loved me and made sure I knew that. And so what I decided to do with Willie and his education, because, um, my uh, wife's older brother is also my closest friend through my whole life. Um, and he was just as terrible a student as me and a dropout and never got his college degree. And he, you know, and that's part of the reason why we're best friends. Uh, I put Willie into, if it goes, uh, the zoo actually has preschool. Seriously? So no, was, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. It's in the basement of the living world. And, uh, I credit my wife for tracking this down. Um, but you know, I just kind of felt like if he's going to appreciate learning about stuff, it needs to just be fun and cool stuff. And so we went and it was amazing. Um, so that's where he's going to go if it goes. They're waiting until late August. They figure out how to how to do it is what you're saying. If the, if the zoo yeah. can figure out how to have the kids and socially distanced and, yeah, masks. And how old is he? Four? Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't see how that. I don't think it's going to happen. But if it doesn't happen, that's fine too, because boys are so immature. I mean, we are just miserable to be in a relationship with. We are like, <laughs> whatever my wife is feeling today, I know I'll be feeling it in three days. You know? Like when okay. something's coming up. Yeah. Uh, so if it doesn't happen, he's a little boy. He'll just be better suited to start school when it does start back up in this country, which. I, yeah. But yeah, yeah, my, yeah. My son will be a senior Holy. in the fall. And, um, you know, he definitely doesn't like it when I tell him, I wonder if they'll not, if they're going to really open up. And he's always like, don't talk like that. You know, yeah. he, he's, you know, cause they went, he went on spring break just like everybody else. Then, you know, hasn't been back in a room with his friends, you know, since, since then. And I think, um, he cannot, does not want to fathom school, not opening up because it's, that will send him into a right. Right. 
You know, it's um he needs to have that. And so I don't even joke about it. And I'm somebody who kind of likes to take some kind of sometimes when things are like sh- kind of shitty and like joke about it, but I'm like, no, that's way too sensitive. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm matured on my during my corona my corona break. Um, I enjoyed all my. So have you like not even been to the store, Jason? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you on the internet. Um, Um, I have a rare genetic lung disease. Get out of town. Yes, it's called giant bolus emphysema. Oh my. Yeah, so if you see a smoker's lungs, they have tiny little emphysemas all around it, right? And they build up. If you look at mine, there is just on my left lung about a 35% void of the lung, and on the other one, about 31%. Oh my gosh. So it's bad so lung. With it. Is this yeah, is yeah, yeah, this yeah. And genetic? I only discovered it about yeah. half years ago. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, but not genetic as in it was something in my family. It's just some weird genetic anomaly. It could have occurred in my family. Like he said, you know, I, one of the things I've been blessed with is an amazing doctor. Uh, and I'll explain why he's amazing in just a second. But, um, you know, he said it's like a one in two million chance that Willie for example, would have something oh like this. He's like, you're just missing one little protein or one little, you know, or something in the genetic code that teed you up to have this. And there could have been environmental factors that then exacerbated it. Yeah. So like wearing the masks and things like that that are necessary right now have got to be incredibly compromising to you. So I can wear a mask. I can do, you know, I work, you know, I can work out, swim, I can do whatever. I manage it with medications perfectly. Um, I have a team of doctors at Washington University that just Mm -hmm. take such good personal care of me um, that I I don't deserve at all, at all. (laughs) Um, But uh, coronavirus, you know. At best, I would say I would be a transplant patient. Oh my gosh! Um, if, if you got if, the virus, you're saying you'd be best. more than likely though. I would. It would yeah. kill you. Yeah, kill. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I have an oxygen meter that I can clip on my finger that I got on Amazon, and you know, I I stay home. But the staff, I mean, we we are up like. I mean, the staff is unreal. Well, yeah, you know what's amazing about your staff is that the staff of the wine merchant. You know, yeah, your your staff. It's like a family there, and I, you know, it, it is something that I I miss because I feel like I'm close personal friends with everyone, and so it's like this little yeah. community I'm missing out on. So, I think that's something that you've done really, really well is that you've cultivated that experience. And so in that breeds this loyalty that, you know, it, despite the yeah. fact that we can't come in, we're still going to go. And, and, you know, it's been amazing. It's, it's crazy. You know, people ask me daily why we're not open back up now. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One is, you know, I am lucky to be in the wine business because one thing you do is you know a lot of good doctors because they drink good <laughs> wine. 
<laughs> there you um, go. Yeah. I have got a few <laughs> notes that we will be seeing a second peak. Yeah. Wash you across Absolutely. the board uh, on the medical campus. Emails are flying back and forth between doctors that we will experience a second peak. I'm not talking about when flu flares up, when it gets cold. I'm talking before then. We are going to yeah. see a second peak that exceeds what they're calling our peak a few weeks ago. Um, I agree. So, and, it and it doesn't help that everybody went to the uh, Lake of the Ozarks um, exactly. over Memorial Day weekend. They don't get it. And now they're coming back like seeds and they're going to grow into some disgusting weeds. It's true. <laughs> and just, yeah. it's true. And, and, you know, I, and, and you know, yeah. I, just, I'm, in, I'm involved with so, an amazing consortium that's like bringing in doctors from WashU and we're working on this mask innovation project. And, you know, we're all talking about the same thing, Jason. You're absolutely right. And so for me, um, I can't go in. I go in Sunday and uh, I get there well before the staff and do the bulk of my weekly business. Um, I have... 14 companies I buy wine from for the wine merchant and I am doing the work of every single one of those reps and then calling in the orders for them to make sure they stay employed to the best of my ability. Wow. Um, and I'm happy to, I get to work from home. So yeah. that's like, you know, amazing. I am, you know, I, I didn't have my kid until I was 40. You know, I don't have, I'm not looking to get back to a lifestyle. I'm not, you know, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. So I'm happy to be working at home. Uh, but the staff, I mean, it's just crazy. It's like when I first started working at the wine merchant, it was like fraternity wine <laughs> circle. But you're right. It's like family now. It's different. It's different. When we get together, we don't talk about wine. I mean, we talk about like life and shit like that. You know, I mean, it's just different. Um, now, my doctor who takes care of me, uh, there is a really legendary chef named Lachlan Patterson. Um, he and a master sommelier, Bobby Stuckey, have a restaurant in Boulder, Colorado called Frosca Foods. And they have a wine label called Scarpetta. And oh, yes. We drank that. Yes, absolutely. We have well, drank Lachlan that. Lachlan and I do a lot of business together. Lachlan is from Canada originally, but he graduated high school in Clayton. And oh. his dad is a BJC Washu doctor. And his dad, like, I'm not kidding, like, wrote the book on lung transplanting and, uh, you know, thoracic surgery and lung health, basically. So it's only a couple of years ago that I discovered I had this disease. What led you to that point? Like, what happened where you're like, something's going on? I got pneumonia twice in one year. Oh. Get out of, oh, that's awful. Yeah. And wow. um, I, you know, I've never even had bronchitis before this. I have. You were know, you a smoker when you were a teenager? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, but that, he said, would have it wouldn't have exacerbated it. It would have agitated it. But he was like, the genetic train left the station and this is happening to you. Um, I played soccer all throughout junior high and high school. Um, all the way up to varsity year until I blew up my knee. But I can remember I had to stop playing halfback because I just couldn't hack it. And I just, you know. Um, Running. Yeah. They run a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that position, that's all you do. Uh, so that's like midfield and you're just back and forth. Yeah. Defense yeah. and trying to score. So it's everything. And I had to give it up. I mean, I just, I couldn't hack it anymore. And I used to be so good at it. Um, 
And mm-hmm. so I, you know, as you're sitting there reflecting on your life, once you find out something like this, you're like, oh shit, that's what it was. Yeah. You know, that's what made it. That's mm-hmm. why instead of like, what's wrong, what did I do wrong? You know, and why, you know, yeah, there's nothing I could have done to change it. It didn't have to, you know, he was like, you know, look, don't smoke, but smoking, <laughs> you, do it, you know, um, but I called him on new year's Eve two years ago and told him what was going on with me. And he was like, come over to my house right now. He's like, get the x-ray disc that they gave you and just immediately come to my house right now. And then, uh, he's like, they've already locked the building, but I'll go New Year's day. And, uh, you went and opened it up and looked at it, called one of his, yeah, no, he's a surgeon. Um, and, and that's what he does. Uh, but, um, he, put me in with his sort of co-author, the guy who does the practicing of the medicine side, who writes with him and stuff. So, I mean, really like. Preeminent, preeminent people that you have at your fingertips. You know, it's I mean, if, if you had taken up like rubber stamp making as your, as your like chosen Hmm. vocation, this shit wouldn't happen for you. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's been a weird path. It's been a weird path. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been weird, but it's been amazing. It's made me appreciate stuff. Um, at some point, I'll get something called a lung reduction surgery where they're going to go in and just like cut out these giant balloons. Oh and the cool thing about lungs is they constantly repair themselves and they expand to fill the cavity. Okay, so uh, that was going to be my question. Like, are you somebody that eventually you're going to need a transplant? But it sounds like as long as you're proactive, much like therapy, you can go in and create space for healing. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, and uh, to be f- very blunt, you know, what my doctor said, because I was trying to get, he was like, look, you're going to come to me in the next couple of years and be like, I can barely have sex and we're going to do this at the surgery. <laughs> He's like, until that happens, you're be like, oh, walking my dog is tough. I can get through. I can make this happen. The right. stairs kind of weak me a little bit. I'm okay. Uh, but the minute it affects your sex life, you're going to be like, doc, you have, like, I can't. This is, um, this is urgent. I can't, I can't even give myself a hand job anymore. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> like, what the hell am I taking showers for? This is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm getting winded. I'm getting winded. I can't even do it anymore. Left, right, doesn't matter. I'm already <laughs> worn out. <laughs> so, so when you go in for your surgery, we're all going to know, oh, Jason couldn't do it anymore, so now he's going to the hospital. Hope his wife is happy. <laughs> yeah, right? um, me too. <laughs> you know that most of the times on the podcast, we talk about our guest's sex life, so this is perfect. Right. Yeah, no, I uh, I married a really cool girl. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, she's is she's pretty brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm very very lucky. I so met was, her. Go ahead. I was gonna say I met her when she was twelve and I was fourteen. Seriously, I didn't know that you well, went that far back. That's you just amazing. Carried a candle for her until she became of age. Yeah, and then she still didn't want anything to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "You're my brother's friend." So, what finally? What was finally the moment? I met her older brother when we were in when we were freshmen in high school, 
So her mom had this legendary St. Louis bakery and restaurant called La Dolce Via. And it was the original Bar Italia bakery. So it was established in the early 80s. Um, And so, you know, her and her her mom and her mom's longtime uh, companion were the, you know, original pastry chef and chefs of Bar Italia. And we all kind of grew up in, you know, I started working for her when I was in high school, filling flower bins and stuff. And I was also an idiot who was best <laughs> friends with her older brother. We were both, all right, Carly paid about $300 for her uh, full ride education at Webster University. Nice. Wow. One semester, her books were about $300 short on her scholarship program. Amazing. So that, that's who she was. Her brother and I couldn't finish high school. <laughs> I was pretty sure I was going to be the world's greatest rave promoter. So, oh, nice. <laughs> so we could see where she was like, I'm not betting on that horse. Yeah. <laughs> really good rave promoter with the best wine ever. <laughs> you know, it's not just Nitrous Kid. It's also my Um. How fun. How fun. Well, and I just bounced around and did a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, I came from this. Your early 20s. I mean, my God, you know. What are you going to do? You know, so if I did get in trouble, nothing happened to me. Um, So I just kind of lived this cavalier shithead lifestyle. You know, um, I don't think I've ever heard those two words next to me that cavalier shithead. <laughs> you know, look, if you're a white guy and you're not really, really thinking about stuff and reconsidering a lot of things right now, I mean, yeah. I, I'll give you a breakdown of my night. I had to take half of one, half of an Ativan and promise myself I wouldn't look at Facebook until tomorrow. Yeah, you know? I get that. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 at some point, I, for me, I like matured in 10 seconds. And then I was like, oh, I'll be grown up now. Um, and her mom saw that and gave me uh, permission to make bread at the bakery, which no one had done but her. Uh, maybe Carly in a pinch, but Marsha made all the oh, bread. And so Carly comes in and I'm making bread. And I think, yeah. And then I think like three weeks later, we made out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Three weeks is all it took of kneading bread. That's That says something. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I made bread for years at the bakery, you know, kind of gave up on the family architecture business because you can't work with your older brother and sister. Um, you will never, Especially when they're, I mean, beyond glorified they're, they're like assistant. educational rock stars, you know, and you have very different thought process. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm the youngest, you know? Yeah. You'll always be the baby brother. Yeah, you know, the baby brother that, you know, didn't quite measure up to us, you know, we're, and we're being really kind right now by employing you kind of yeah. thing, yeah. a little bit. They yeah. were, they were being incredibly kind. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I mean, I have had some of the most kind firings over my employment history, but one of the most consistent threads when I was being fired was you're amazing when you're here. Mm. 
And so, you know, once the maturity kicked in and I was there, um, it was at the bakery, but then I couldn't work for my in-laws any longer or I was going to kill everyone. Um, which I should say, you can't work for your in-laws in a restaurant setting. It's, (sighs) it's hot. It's fast paced. People are hungry. People are angry. Your staff is brilliant, but they're also wait staff who get off work at 3 a.m. with a pocket full of cash every night. So they're completely, completely, you, you can't count on them. Um, and so, yeah. And so one of the things I, one of my favorite things doing at La Dolce Via during the restaurant days uh, was waiting on wine merchant employees. Hmm. They would come in, they would bring these amazing wines, they would share them with me and the whole staff. Yeah, I didn't realize that Wine Merchant existed before you were the owner. Absolutely. They have a long history. So, um, and there are so many sordid details of how it all fell apart and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and implosions. I was not necessarily the smartest guy in the room, but I had enough money to bail out the company and partners left and sold their shares. And I, it was, it was a whole nightmare. Um, but I had an opportunity to throw in at this point, you know, I had pretty much, uh, taken everything I had and just bought into a, um, 49% ownership stake of the wine merchant. Um, and then this, it's just this past year that I bought out the final original partner. Oh my God. Congratulations. Wow, good for you. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Um, you know, it, it was, you're weird. focused, you're focused. And so you had a plan and you, it was something you wanted to do, right? It was my wife. You, sh- you showed up, yeah. it, it, but it was, my wife is, you know, I mean, she is the CFO of the company and I okay. mean, she walked in and laid out a financial plan for the company when we proposed me buying in. And within, I would say a month, the shares were sold to us and they fired everybody in the financial spectrum of the company and the bill paying, you know, AP, AR, everything and handed the reins to Carly. Wow. And, and she walked us into a bank that paid off all you know that you know leveraged a huge SBA loan so we could blanket pay all the company debt off instantly. Um, it, it was just incredible. Amazing. It's unreal. Really. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why the final partner was willing to sell was because he was like, "Oh, she's running the books. You're just the the guy we put in front to go sell stuff." Yeah, You're the pretty good. man. Yeah. <laughs> the trophy <laughs> husband. Just your I'm happy to be that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, look, I mean, what, what sets most small businesses apart is not the person who's passionate. It's, it's the finances. It's the emergency preparedness. It's how you, you're able to not just take care of your staff by telling them you care about them, but by financially. Um, Very true. And it's also layers of bringing good people around you. Like you've done that, you know, bringing the right talent and people. That's so critical. So I have a, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. So when the, so the coronavirus hits, 
we gotta we gotta quarantine at home. You know you have a health health issue. You've got these awesome employees. How much stress did that add to your life? Knowing you wanted to take like, how do I take care of them from afar? Thank God you're an essential business, um, but yet there's that virus out there. And then I want to follow that on to as we're watching all of the protests and the mm-hmm. you know the the anger out there, and you can see some of the destruction with the small with the businesses out there. Does that also do you get do you have a a, a gut reaction to that as well? Just so two questions. Yeah. You've got those. I, I do. Um, one, it, I've been a big believer, and this is something my dad, who was, I mean, just, you know, he's made fortunes, lost fortunes, but he's, he's always worked and he's always gone for it. Um, one of the things he taught me was why the fuck would you have managers if you're not going to let them manage? Let them manage. Let them experience, you know, let them make mistakes. And so, man, I, years ago, put Phil in charge. I said, look, I'm going to fire our wine buyer and I'm going to fire our assistant wine buyer and I'm going to do both of their jobs. And it's just me and you. And like Danny is our right-hand man, you know, like, but Mm -hmm. if we do this, like you, you can't just one day decide don't, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like uh, this is, this is business marriage, dude. Um, And Phil's like, yeah, let's do this. And so I did Fire our wine buyer, fire our assistant buyer. I, you know, cleaned house. And so I, you know, I went to Phil and I was like, and I came in to have the meeting. He's like, yeah, go home. Obviously you're coming to tell me that you can't come in. Go. You shouldn't be here anyway now. Uh, so I started staying home week before lockdown. Oh, okay. Uh, and the reason why we did that is because we knew lockdown was coming. We knew this was going to happen. We knew it. And so why not start experimenting with it now? I can still come in if it's critical, but we figured out what computer programs would allow me access to the wine and what we had to do to, for me to sell. Uh, and we just created this amazing curbside scheme and this way to sell wine. And, you know, I have a lot of competitors that I'm actually not enemies with and they have one of everything. And so they don't need to have an educated staff because if you want vodka, one of every kind of vodka you could ever imagine in the store. Mm. But what happens if you can't go in the store? Right. It, yeah. It, so right. for me, it's been great. It allowed my guys to shine. I had a Zoom meeting where I let them bring home really great bottles of wine. They could just walk around the store and get a bottle of wine. We did this meeting this past Thursday where I just said, look, I get it. You're you're an Amazon fulfillment center now. <laughs> they are. They <laughs> certainly are. Yeah. Central. You want to talk about Lee stirring and stop there on Flint soil? Fuck yeah. They yeah. just need some vests. They need some yellow vests or something as they're carrying <laughs> the wine out to the car. So I, was like, I get it. I get it. It's not, but I, I was like, but we're up. We're doing great. We're not going to reopen. My store is too small. It's too tight. If you're standing in white burgundy, no one can shop red burgundy or Bordeaux because you're too damn close. And I have 10 employees right. and I've kept every single one of them at full time, including two who their other, they were work, each working one day a week. They got essentially furloughed at their real jobs and we took them on full time. So we've expanded. So you um, didn't have to go get the PPE or anything like that. Oh, yeah, we got 
Yeah. Oh, this, oh you did that, get that? My badass wife? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You got us. She had us big, big one. <laughs> She's awesome. Because you, you plan for the worst, you hope for the best. Right. So she's like, okay. I'm going to get this company set up. Uh, and so what the PPE allowed us to do was expand our employment circle. So Tom Kiefer, who worked right. one day, but was Zoe's bar manager at Bar La Frere, well, she closed her restaurant. He's full-time with us now. Then Rob Marchant, who works at Vino Volio at the St. Louis Airport, makes oh, does very well there. Uh, they've all but shut down. Reduced his hours to one shift a week or something like that. He's full time. Uh, that's what that's allowed us to do. And I'm sitting at home and I just focus on the the intricate sales, the collectors, the people out of the country buying wine, loading up on pre tariff containers and getting them out of Europe, mm. and getting the country at the lowest possible prices and stuff like that. Uh, calling winery owners who no one is buying their wine club wines this year, regardless of score and saying, well, what if I advertise it at the price you're selling at the wine club? You know, yeah. Undercut. Yeah. most of my competitors would undercut them. They would say, oh, it's a hundred dollar bottle. I'll sell it for 50. Always buy that winery for me. I'm like, yeah. I just want you to be there in two years, man. Right. Right. Of um, and that's why, yeah. And that's so that's what I've been doing at home now. You know, and managing your podcast relationships. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Taking care of clearly speaking. <laughs> I needed I needed to I needed to air some of my dirty laundry. You know? I mean, like I was talking earlier, Michelle, I feel bad about the good business we're doing because I'm taking it out. You know, one of my closest and dearest friends on planet Earth is Quee Tran, who owns Miley and Nudo. When he found out about this, he brought me N95 masks. He brought, you know. Wow. Wow. So he's down 75%. Guess why I'm up? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. why I'm So Because I'm making his money. Yeah. So, but you you ran a a raffle, didn't you, uh, at the beginning of the, you started it. So, would you just share with our listeners a little bit, you know, like a brief, brief summary of, why, what happened, and the amount that you raised? I cannot explain to you the level of anxiety, like, not the, like, kind of, like, is something going to, like, the bad anxiety, mm-hmm. the dark place anxiety, Um, just sitting at home all day. Not because, oh, what's going to happen to my company or stuff like that, but it's like, is BJC going to be overwhelmed with cases? And if I get, you know, like what's going to happen? We don't know the scope. And all of this. those I mean, you this care more- about. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, like, what if I keep my staff and keep my business open, and they all get this, like, or your customers get it? Yeah, exactly. They can't. They can't come. They're not going to drink your wine anymore because they're all yeah on ventilators. Yeah. I was just sitting there in that level of fear. And I was like, well, we can't, we can't. And my wife was too. And we were just sitting here miserable. And, I, you know, we just tried to brainstorm together. What could we do? And we were like, you know what? We got a backlog of Domain Roman Acanti, which is the rarest and most expensive wine on earth. Uh, when we talk about this wine, I think the greatest comparison is good art from an artist who died. Wow. That's okay. what these wines are. Um, easily one bottle 
of Roman Acanti and a good vintage on release 10 grand, if not more. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then what we have, I have a shitload of Pappy Van Winkle, which is this very rare bird. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, yeah. And so we auctioned it. And the only way you could get an auction or raffle ticket wasn't an auction. It was a raffle. And the only way to get a ticket was we, we reached out to every restaurateur we love. And if you bought a hundred dollar gift card from them, they would write your name down and your email address and send it to me. And so if you called them up and bought $300 in gift cards. And so essentially this, this was the original PPP. (laughs) (laughs) But it was more like a small business loan with no interest. Yeah. The the cards are going to come home to roost. At some point, someone's going to walk through the door. Now, statistically, 50 to 60% of those cards are going to come home to roost. That's statistics. Most people put it in their office and find it seven years after it's expired and go, oh, we should have used it when we got married and received it. Um, So true. Damn it, that company's not not around anymore. That Kmart gift card is not not even worth anything. Do you think it says invalid after one year and I got it in 01? Let's go talk to him. It happens to me. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it does. It, 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 it happens when people will come in with a seven year and I still let them spend the money. You know, if, if you bought a gift card from me and it says it expires in five years, I, it's your money. Spend it. Um, but anyway, we raised close to $70,000. But that is phenomenal. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And it was already into the community. That that $70,000 was already into the community. It it went directly into – and here's the other thing is I told everybody who bought a $100 gift card, you're not allowed to use it until the restaurant reopens. So you can't go two nights later and use it for carryout. If the restaurant (laughs) isn't open, you can't use it. It's for when their wait staff is back and their full kitchen staff is back and – that's when you get to go use this because that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it, it just it went into their pocket, their pockets. And uh, yeah, the second part of your question is about, you know, protests. Okay. The protests, the businesses. and With my company, to answer that question, let's back up a few years and Michael Brown has been killed. And yeah. we know that a verdict is coming. I was the minority owner at this company. I love my partner to death. Gave me my start in the company, but he is a he. And I, I'll tell him this to his face. He's a hick. He's a good old boy. His heart is pure, but he he doesn't think it through. And at that time, he made us board up the entire old school wine merchant on Hanley. He made uh. us wrap the signs they could, and all this stuff. I stayed out of it. I was like, I think you're making the you know. I'm go. I worked my day out. I'm going home. If you guys are going to stay and do this, you guys do it. Whatever. Um. And we did it for, I think, three days. And the protests never came. And the police showed up like a bunch of fucking stormtroopers in Ferguson with sniper rifles and machine Isn't guns. and just obscene? Yeah. And they looked like a... And I have family who are in law enforcement. My sister-in-law works right. as a prison guard in Seattle at a juvenile prison. And I'm talking like prison. I'm talking like 16-year-olds who have murdered people talking like she's their building has been vandalized now and stuff like that and you know it's 
one of these things where this is, in a lot of ways, it is about optics. That's why you have white supremacists in there setting businesses on fire and standing yeah. behind the peaceful protesters and throwing a brick at the cops because it's about optics. Yeah. And Americans are very bad at optics. We believe Why it. Why do you think we that is? We um, well, you guys, you guys know what he did, what the president... Well, you know, that's the, that's the downside of institutionalized racism. That is why I keep my fucking mouth shut right now. And when I do say stuff, it is just to remind family members, yeah, the king was a tyrant, but we shouldn't have thrown all that tea in Boston Harbor. We're a nation built on tearing it down and burning it to the ground. Yeah. That's what we've done. When the Civil War happened... And the South wouldn't give up slaves. The North, is as bad as we have become, at the time, Atlanta was burned to the ground. The South was erased and rebuilt. It's a very American thing to do. Yeah, these fiery protests are, are very... Right. But also, our military, the thing we do is we erase it and then we spend the money to rebuild it because then we own it. So we're printing, right. painting a pretty picture and, on it and re-dialoguing about the actual story. It, it's, it's a very broken system. But w what I'm doing with the wine merchant is if it is overwhelmed and it is engulfed in fire and it all falls apart, and it, it okay. I'm okay with it. That's what I have insurance right. for. I. Right. I my focus is on extrajudicial killing. That's yeah. what yeah. I'm worried about. I mean, yes. On a certain level, fuck the wine merchant. I mean, right. you know, we did it. We boarded up, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I was embarrassed. I was. I was going to ask. Yeah, if you were embarrassed about that. The whole time I was embarrassed to be a part of it, and I vowed, and I talked with Phil. We were both embarrassed, and if it ever came to be that something like this happened again, we would stay open. We will have if if we will take care of people, and uh, you know. But we we know what side of history we want to be on here. You know, yeah. I mean, look, as a white man, I don't have a place at the table. I have given up the place at the table for inequality and for financial stability that women don't get, that black men don't get, that no one else get. I, you know, I and I just, you know, I just can't understand like I why other people can't understand that a place at the table has to be sacrificed if you are going to be on this side of the coin. It's just, I mean, people are hurting. You're worried about looting? Worried about Gucci being looted? It's 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 a pro it's it's property, you know. It, and you can mm, you can always make another purse. Material. You can it's, right. you can always make another. You can always build a building again, but the person is gone. And I and but I find that uh, that uh, the white people uh, use that as a as a as an excuse. Well, I would have been on your on your side had you had you not gone and looted that store, you know, shaking their finger at you at the at at the at the protesters, and it it just infuriates me because because they don't they they're looking they're looking for something an excuse to put themselves back in their recliners in their comfortable world where then they don't have to pay attention, 
You know, it's the same thing as saying, well, you know what? You shouldn't have worn that short skirt. Sorry, you got raped. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're right. Property doesn't equal people, right? And this has been a fight that's been happening for how long now, right? And yet somehow that connection still hasn't been fully let go because the fact that people are all up in arms over property the value of property versus people, you know, uh, there's so much. The lives matter so much more. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it is the way black parents have to sit down and explain, especially if they have a male child that you're held to a different level of standards. It, to me, it equates with having to explain to your daughter, if you wear that, it's your fault if you get raped. I mean, what the right. fuck, And I mean, no, 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 no. Both of those are not on, that's not on the young black boy and that's not on the woman. It's just not. And I have, I have a couple, I have a couple, uh, female, uh, white friends, um, who have experienced, uh, aggression and anger from, um, city cops who one was off duty, but, you know, flashed his badge. What was very aggressive was pissed because he, because he, they weren't driving fast enough and he couldn't pass them and he was probably late to work, but really came at them aggressively, um, you know, to tell them, you know, that they, that they're wrong. And as soon as they asked for his badge number, you know, he like you know, flipped them off and sped off. Yeah. And, and they were, and they, you know, they, they, they escaped with their lives. Right. Had that been an, you know, an African-American person who he was pissed be- off at, it could have, a completely yeah. different story, yeah. but they were, they were afraid. Right. Yeah. And I know that I, when I'm driving the car and I see a police car, I'm, I get like nervous. Oh God, they're going to, I don't want to get a ticket, you know, and I'm always checking my, always checking my, um, my speed to make sure that I'm within, you know, the five or seven miles. And if I have an anxiety knowing I'm not going to be killed for it, imagine, I can't imagine, the yeah. level of anxiety. Yeah. You can't, you can estimate it. You can project it. You can attempt to comprehend it. But two hours after going through those exercises, you're not. And that's the difference. Right. If you're a yeah. person of color, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. And how can, I mean, People are like, oh, you know, people of color who are poor experience higher levels of mental illness and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they do. They have, they so, have concerns. That- so some somebody somebody posted on Facebook or Twitter that I thought was very very clarifying. What we are seeing um, is the effects of trauma and. The, the entire communities have been traumatized and they are acting out. And we as a, we as a society understand that our veterans are going to come home from war. They're going to have PTSD. And we, we're like, we, we create programs and we want to, you know, well, we, we won't excuse, we don't excuse things, but we understand it more because my God, you've, you've been through war and, and you have PTSD. We have entire communities that are going through the same thing. So don't tell me that 
they, the looting and, and I'm putting those in quotes, you know, that, and that kind of stuff is, you know, they should know better. It's trauma. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, how do you, how do you react when you've been triggered and from something that's been traumatic in your life? You know, we can't tell somebody how they should react. It's revolution. You know, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it is. And I also posted today and I'm, I'm getting up a little bit on my soapbox now as my listeners are used it. to it. I posted today that uh, I, I went to the dic- dictionary.com. I'm like, what's the difference between protest and rebellion? Hmm. And a protest is, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, it's like being upset and anger and, and demonstrating over something that a person is powerless to change. Okay. Like protests against taxation, but a re- but a rebellion is actually making a change. Well, then that's what we're fighting. And, you know, for. and we glorify the rebel rebellions in our history books and in right? our and our we Star Wars change. movies. Right? We want it's all change. about the rebellion. This is a rebellion. Yeah. Right. So if we change our words, our vocabulary, and call this the pre-rebellion, yeah, not a protest, because we don't want to be powerless to change it, right? It's kind of the warning right. shot, right? It's like, that's where you're like, it's a pre-rebellion. It could get worse. It's the pre-rebellion. Yeah. And today, that person who's been sitting in our White House for the last three and a half years, he pulled the military in on peaceful protesters so he could walk across the street and take a picture with a Bible. And the man didn't even know how to hold the Bible. He was so uncomfortable with the Bible. He was like, oh, look at me. I got a Bible in my hand in front of an Episcopal church. He tear gassed peaceful protesters and said he's going to pull in the military, invoked an 1807 law. I was going to say, is that actually legal? I mean, so it is. In D.C., he got away with it because it's not a state. Yeah. It's a district. It's a district. He can't do it in a state. But he's setting precedents. Oh, I was in. He's a dictator. If he's going to act like a dictator, we have to respond. Like, what's the, what's the, um, uh, the mathematical formula, physics formula, uh, for every response, you have an equal or, Greater reaction. Yeah. Equals MC squared. Yeah. You, you can't it, let him be a dictator if we don't respond in greater than that. Where it where I think this a lot of these conversations get lost, and where I think a lot of my friends go to the dark place and have a lot of trouble pulling themselves out of is is hope and statistics. Baby boomers are the biggest problem here. I mm-hmm. told my dad this to his face at Starbucks, and someone was like, that's your dad, man. And I was like, look, man, when the baby boomers are dead, the, it's a lot of things are going to change. Yeah. The generation dominates Congress, dominates the House of Representatives, dominates the yeah. Senate. What demographic is in the presidency right now? What demographic voted in mm-hmm. The orange fuck face, you know? I mean, look, yeah. it's, it's very straightforward. It's very obvious that there is a generational issue here and they've hoarded the wealth. They I mean, fucking have. And they, and they, they, they job because of they had, 
and they got the GI Bill, and they got to go to college for free. Oh, and they got they got they got to have their houses with no down payment and no, and zero like low zero interest. Privilege. I mean, lots of they privilege. got yeah. so much given to them. It, it we just have to remember that at their youngest, they're in their early seventies, right? It, it, and I'm I'm uh, while it sounds very callous and it sounds like I'm saying they're the, I'm just saying you just have to remember simple statistics. When I was a kid. I can remember having effeminate friends that were called a faggot, that were beaten up, who were treated so poorly in high school. When I was younger, I did shit like that. I mean, watch Eddie Murphy raw. Oh, yeah. Right. You're like, this isn't comedy. This is horrible. This is a hate crime. I used to watch this with every one of my friends on a and Saturday that. night in seventh grade and like drink vest soda. And it's like a hate crime. Well, humor isn't a release for for pain we cannot deal with. Yeah. It is. It is. But some of the things, I mean, just... Not to excuse like, that, I mean, by the way. I'm just saying. No. Like, no, the things that were funny then or acceptable as funny. generation where if you were gay, if you were different, yeah. if you were what... I, I mean, so... After Churchill, I went back to Webster Rose High School and then got tossed out of there and wound up in a school called Logos, which I don't know if you're familiar with Logos, but Logos is like, look, you're smart. We know there's a good potential for you to be okay, but where you're, you're old enough now, you're not Churchill where you're young and you're a kid and we'll try and mold you and tell you what an amazing human you are. Like, look, things got a little more serious. You're a little older now. Um, this was a high school where you could smoke mm-hmm. in the classrooms. Uh, what? Cigarettes or oh my gosh. Cigarettes. Okay. Oh, I'd make sure. I'd make sure. <laughs> no, we, we got drug tested monthly. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and so I wound up in logos, but they were like, you know what, Jason, you suck at math. It's cool. Just do oil painting for 70% of your day. Will you not be an asshole? If we just, if we let you paint. And be like, you know, will will you come to school and like just loosely follow the rules? Um, So I wound up in Logos and I was still miserable and stuff like that. You know, and I I wound up bouncing out of there. But, you know, that's where the foster thing really came in in my life. Okay, being in that school and being with those kids who it's like they're – yeah, and that's where that's really where I would say my life changed is someone who's I think pretty empathic and has issues. Like, so we we talked about um, so Jason, we've known for a long time that you've been very passionate about the foster system because of your work with the um, Epworth Center and uh, which is a, a a home that helps facilitate. Um, you know, placing children and and so forth. Um, what uh, what age were you um, being introduced to foster children, and and you know what were some of the kind of powerful moments for you there? So it was really soft sophomore uh, year of high school. So. To give a, you know, your listeners uh, an idea of what Upworth is, is this is over 150 years old. We reside on the original campus in Webster Groves, but we also have a North County location and another location. North mm-hmm. County facility is actually a drop-off facility. 
Um, and oh, wow. after the Civil War, after the Civil War, basically Webster Groves was the middle of nowhere. I mean, it took a day by carriage to get to Webster Groves from downtown St. Louis, essentially. Um, you take these kids out to the middle of the woods to Webster. You teach them a craft. You teach them a skill. You bring their family. Their kid, they can write home to the rest of the kids who were orphaned by the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, create a family unit. And that campus is still there in Webster. It's right in downtown Old Webster uh, yeah. on a huge sprawling campus that you would never know is there. Right. Um, and now we have full drop up. We are privately funded. We do what the state does when the family system breaks down, but we are small and agile enough and well funded enough. So this year, uh, that we can do what the state can't complete, which is truly holistic uh, adoptions and keep the family together before adoptions even on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, give the mom life skills, get her a profession, mm-hmm. a trade. Get her in college, whatever. Pay for the apartment, pay for the furniture, do it all. Therapy every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. We have a kitchen where we teach young kids how to make bread, how to cook, how to do stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, but it's an incredible thing. Um, so for me, where it started was my uh, sophomore year of high school. We started at Logos. And I was there because, you know, here's a kid who's afforded every luxury and just can't learn in school. So I think in today's standards, I'm not an asshole, but in those standards, I was an asshole. <laughs> fair. That's fair. You know, I mean, I had a loving home. I had three hot meals when I turned 16. Had I gotten the grades, they had a car waiting for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like it was all there. Uh, I realize now that it was an unachievable goal for me, but that's, so yeah. Let's put that aside. So here I'm at Logos, and I'm like, uh, you know, and here's the thing about Logos. The parents, you know, everybody was kind of in a group, you know, so it was like me and this cluster of kids, and we did everything together. And there was our parents had to do therapy as a group as well. Interesting. Okay. And they find your parents, and both of them didn't show. We realized dad's really good at making money, but if dad doesn't show up, even if you're fucking divorced, it's fine. You're gonna pay two hundred dollars every time Dad doesn't show up. That's fine. He's got the money. Um, because most of the people that go to Logos have the money. Logos, when I went there, was about thirty six thousand dollars a year. That was in the mid nineties. Now wow. it's over fifty thousand a year. It's shoe level. Look, it is. It is a last ditch effort, and the reason why it is so expensive for the people who can afford it is because they want to get as many families that can't afford it into there. Okay. What is okay. the real cost? Probably a third of that. But okay. for everybody who can afford it, let's <laughs> really give it to them. Yeah. You're going to afford it if you can. Okay. Um, and I just had these friends who's like parents never showed up to any of these meetings mm-hmm. who maybe were coming from Edgewild or I'm sorry, Edgewood or uh, Epworth. Yeah. Because they didn't have a family unit, but Logos was like, well, no, they need to come get a good education. I mean, Barbara Decker Franklin, I, I want to say she was one of the associate curators of the uh, St. Louis Art Museum back in the 90s. She was the guy who taught oil painting at uh, Logos. I mean, they had amazing people there. Uh, weekly group therapy, but then also one-on-one. And not like one flew over the cuckoo's nest creepy. 
character. Well, no, okay. no lobotomy at the end of the session, right? Yeah, it was like kids figuring shit out with someone who was an art teacher or photography or like something like that. He's like, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'll t- we're just going to sit around and talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll do facilitate it, you know? So not like these like clinical therapists. I mean, it was more just like, uh, what's pissing you off? You've been a jerk all week. What's going on with, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there were kids with substance abuse problems. There were kids from the level of a broken home. It's tough to think about. I was going to say, but I'd be like, you know, like, wow, like, you know, they're just staying in a head situation. You think they could stay here? Like just this weekend. Like not. And then my mom would have them over to stay for the weekend and be like, well, they can't fucking go home. And then my dad would come home from work, having been fined $400 for not meeting, you know, coming to one of the meetings <laughs> and be like, are you, what, there's another, what is happening here? But we had a big old house in Webster. Um, and so that's how it started. It started as these kids who had potential, just needed some time couch surfing with like a mom who was like going to make breakfast, going to make dinner. There was going to be, you know, like Jason's on the soccer team. So now you're going to have to be on the soccer team mm-hmm. uh, or at least go to all the soccer games, you know, just like right, you're going right. to kind of other soccer. lives, right. Other realities, you know, beaver cleaver without the beaver, you know, yeah, like, right, you know, right. you know I, mean, I was still like, you know, I mean, this point smoking anything you would willing to let me smoke and but not quite the <laughs> seven are you saying that you're more like that 70s show yeah exactly <laughs> my mom was clued in she was hip you know i mean she was always a hip gal but she was just like no, no 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 we don't eat dinner because we're in the 50s we eat dinner because like we're not savages so just come eat dinner <laughs> <laughs> that's know? great I mean, yeah. yeah you know and these kids couldn't argue with her you know yeah. she wasn't so frail and like staunch, you know, it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like a show. She was just like, well, it's time to eat. Like, are you going to magically make food appear some other way? Like it's time to eat and I cook food, you know, like she was very down to earth. And so it just kind of sucked to these kids and where it got weird for me and where I really saw how, where it really fell apart for me was uh, a good friend of mine, Shane, uh, whose father was in, you know, federal prison for many years. Uh, and it was where he belonged. And his mom was... Did you say, I'm sorry, I did mean, you say he was where he was belonged or didn't? His dad belong was where he belonged. His dad was oh. a bad guy. He was a bad guy. He okay, was a bad guy. It. He needed to be in federal prison for a really long time. He might be a good okay. guy now. I know he's... Um, but, you know, I mean, Shane's mom, you know, bipolar, definitely. Um borderline schizophrenia it was bad really bad really abusive it was really terrible uh and he just loved her so much loved his mom yeah and like he i mean twice he got arrested sneaking out of our house trying to go see her Oh. So he was, was he black in Webster Groves? Is that what you're saying? No, he was a white kid. He was a white kid? Mom, and they- mom lived, you know, uh, way out in the county and she had drug problems and she was a horribly abusive person and just, mm-hmm. he just loved his mom. And, you know, my mom wanted to adopt him and he wouldn't do it. And he got arrested twice by the cops for being out after curfew oh, and okay. probation, uh, just trying to get back to her. And that's yeah. where I just 
How I'm I, sorry. You know, how old was he? 16. 16 and he had been in trouble quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it changed we were, we were mm. yeah. Um, you know, it was just and I just saw that sometimes life. the family bond is just too tight. Yeah. You know? and, and it's yeah. like, even if you've provided all of this uh, amazing, stable place to be, I mean, you know, like great literature is written about those yeah. kinds of, you know, family bonds and stuff. So, I mean, your mom, you know, yeah, just the long and short of it. His dad was in prison and he could have cared less, but he just wanted And, his and mom so home. at what point how in his life, how prison. old was he when his dad went to prison? Out of curiosity here his dad had been in prison for many many years um yeah but his dad had never really been a part of his life yeah so, so. his mom was his his only thing he really knew right it had abused him since day one i mean he a few times told us stories that to him were just him telling a story and we're like like to this day, there's some of the most horrible stories I've ever heard. He was like, "Ooh, ooh. <laughs> didn't realize it was that bad uh, of abuse." He didn't right. see it as abuse. He decided, "Is like my mom went nuts this one time." Like, you know, and it's like, Dude, it's just reality, <laughs> right? It's just, his, it's just reality. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And that, so that has always been. I, I've always had a soft spot for kids in that situation. So then we fast forward to me getting, start working at the wine merchant. Well, I start working at the wine merchant and we're hooked up with an organization called the Family Support Network. Uh And I knew of the Family Support Network for many years and my parents had been big donors to the Family Support Network and the wine merchant was a big donor to the Family Support Network. But this is when I was an employee with two, I had no ownership stake only because two of the greatest customers of the wine merchant were board members of the family support network. So there was no connection. It was just like, Oh God, so-and-so spent, you know, $800,000 with us last year. We got to give something. So the minute I was at the helm, family support network had merged with Epworth to become one organization. Uh, and essentially Epworth had absorbed family support and all family support network did was made sure there was funding for therapy and counseling for families and kids who are in need. That's all Family Support Network did was just if a therapist, if a licensed clinical social worker, whoever needs a check paid, needs up to keep the ball going, we got the money. Um, and so all of a sudden it was part of Appworth and all that stuff and I was in charge and they reached out to me that year to say, hey, we kind of want to move it up this, just make it a little bit better. And I was like, why don't you bring the chairman of the board somebody else down here and let's have a meeting. And I just laid it out for him. I was like, look, I will get every Psalm in this city and you will charge people $500 for their time. And I will get the greatest Burgundy wines. So as it stands now, if you have a great seller, you can attend this party because you have the wines to bring to it. I'll go to France. I'll get the fucking wines. I'll bring Uh them. And everybody can have those wines that, that the guys who've been cellaring it and bring you to the, you know, so when I jumped in, uh, maybe two, 200, 250 people. Now we're easily pushing 500 people a year. 
And uh, I believe Emily has been to one of those dinners. It's nuts. I, I was invited to attend as well, you but I happened were, to be out of town that were. weekend. I remember. But Emily did go. She represented. Extraordinary experience. It's such an experience. <laughs> Very special experience. You're but you know what? The cause is not lost. Yeah. You know, look, I, I live this life where I literally get to drink for a living. I get paid to go to France and Italy and these amazing places and not just to go to Milan. It's like go to the rural countryside where this little family has been making wine for 150 years the same way. and Dine with them and extol the it's, – so how do you give back? You got something. I mean like fuck. I – how is it even a job? What I do, I you it's know, not. I, it's a, it's a, I it's a passion. With it. It's not. It is. It's so like, how do you give back in a meaningful way? So one of the things that drives my wife, who is our CFO, nuts, is any charity, as long as it's not attached to something creepy like <laughs> certain religious organizations that try and ban or an abortion. You're yeah. not getting my money. I don't care if you're like dogs, dogs who need to be, you know, get their nails trimmed. I will give you a $50 certificate and I'll probably give you a bottle of, like, I will give anyone like a, a voucher for a wine class, probably a bottle of wine. Um, and then. Well, you know, Jason. This Emily has her own not-for-profit that she wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> no, no, actually, this is how we actually really met. I met Carly yes. early on when I first moved to St. Louis. Location. You're, uh, yeah. I started a nonprofit arts organization, and that is how we met. We go back to that point. So, yes, you stand behind what you're saying. It, yes, we go back to the old wine merchant. That's right. <laughs> Been yes. friends for a while. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> well, um, guys, I hate to like cut our conversation off, but we have been going on for quite some time like now. An and hour our and a half. Our blessed, listeners yeah. are pro- our listeners have like put us on like the sleep timer in on their phones <laughs> right now, and uh, <laughs> and they're hoping that they you know that it's all going to be wrapped up before they fall asleep. But um, <laughs> so so Jason. You know, if you had anything like just like one nugget you could tell somebody who who might have a son, might my listener who might have a son like you like you were, or who um, you know might you know uh, be at a place where they are struggling with fitting fitting themselves in, like what kind of advice you know that that you would give that person or that parent? Um, yeah, you know, look at the and and it goes into business and it goes into all of this, but I had an amazing father who was really, really good at making money and like making lots of money. Um, I can't prove this, but I think he would have preferred to have gotten to know me and the rest of the kids a little bit better. So he was gone a lot because he liked to make he was gone a lot, five days a week. And then we get home on the weekend and you take my mom out to dinner because he was, you know, I mean like, and I get that. I get yeah. that. You know, I mean, like I, but look, at, at the end of the day, there has to be a reassessment with particularly white men, but not just white men, all men. 
what is a man? Like, do you really think that number in the bank account is uh, going to prove something? It's about the relationships and stuff like that. I mean, look, it's a lot more difficult to be a mom than a dad. I, I see it every single day in my life. And the biggest part of being a dad and being a man is just being there. Just just yeah. be there, you know? Yeah. Um, just be there, you yeah. know? Uh, wow. You'll get really good at it if you do that. If you show up, right? That's exactly right. Show that's up. the biggest part. That's the biggest thing that that we as men are terrible at is just well, showing up. We uh, appreciate you showing up today <laughs> to do this episode with us, showing up at the beginning of our podcast and supporting us from the very beginning. And we do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I know our listeners have enjoyed us talking about all of the wines and then getting to know you even better today. So thank you, Absolutely. Jason. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm always. I'm always cheers. Well, yeah, let's do a little uh, virtual cheers here. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Ching, ching. We're going to do a B-side we'll part you. two. Yeah, the B-side. We'll see you allowed, guys. When you're allowed to come over, and we're going to do it live <laughs> from my basement, all three of us. Absolutely. Oh, that we'll, sounds great. We'll, get into some of this. <laughs> we'll go over into the cellar. And yeah. it'll start super classy. <laughs> and your audio engineer will pull the plug. We'll go from classy to sassy. That sounds there cool. <laughs> Sam will be there. Sam will be there to end the episode when it needs to end. Yeah. So again, like, appreciate it. 13 minutes ago. You can stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night. Thanks good night. Night, everybody. Take care. Stay, stay safe. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.